Thank you all. Thank you all for uh, being on this journey through Ephesians. And uh, just a little bit of, of a review. When we started chapters one through three, right? Remember that opening section uh, of Ephesians God is doing a supernatural, life-transforming work in our lives. And that first section, remember 2-4, where we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead, but God, in chapter 2, verse 4, but God, with the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. A supernatural, life-transforming, life-giving work. Then uh, we went on and he says, not only have I done this incredible life-transforming work in you, but I'm putting you all together, the church, I'm putting the church all together so that you all, 310, will be displaying my manifold wisdom to the world. Not only have I changed you radically from the roots all the way up as individuals, but now I'm giving you this community and this purpose to change the world. That my wisdom, my mercy, my glory would be seen through you. He designed the church to be the primary means of experiencing and displaying his grace, his glory, and his love. And then Paul's prayer at the end of three, that we would somehow, that God would give us the strength to understand the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of his love. Somehow, his spirit in us would help us to see this, his limitless love being more fully experienced, and that is the biggest, the best thing in our lives. So chapter one through three, He's done crazy, awesome things in our lives. He puts us together to do more crazy, awesome things together. And all of it founded on, perpetuated by, fueled by, to the goal of expressing and experiencing his love. Then we get to chapter 4. And there's this right turn where he says, okay, God's done this amazing stuff. Now I want you to live in a way that shows this amazing stuff in your life. We're to live accurately reflecting who we are in, in Jesus. And he says, remember, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he describes it with gentleness and humility, with patience and love, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the body. This is how we're to live to be this kind of community that displays his glory. And then Brian last week, happily using the gifts that God's given us, whatever those gifts are, across the whole spectrum of gifts you can imagine, God wants us to use those gifts, all of them, to help one another, to build up this body, this community. And now today, in our journey from faithlessness to Jesus, from deadness to life, our lives are fundamentally and radically transformed forever, and there's no going back. No going back. So I'm going to pray for our morning before we get into the text. Heavenly Father, 
We are so grateful that you took us who were your enemies, who were sinners, who were dead, and you made us alive. Lord, we couldn't do that ourselves. We couldn't even have dreamed it. We couldn't even have, have known to want it. And yet you loved us that much, Lord. Would you help us see through your text today how much you love us? And Lord, your, your goal, your intent for this life we have to live. Lord, would you speak to us by your spirit through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So I know I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell just a little bit of it again. Because I, I feel like it kind of applies uh, to today. When I was about four or five years old, I, uh, I, I lived on a cul-de-sac. And we had tons of kids on our street. And we were always, you know, playing baseball, playing football, playing wacko, playing whatever. Like we were always out, always playing, playing games together. And Saturday morning, I imagine, I don't really remember, but my mom's car was in the driveway and we wanted to play baseball in the driveway. And it's way easier to play in the driveway because you're just pitcher, catcher, right? And, or a hitter and a pitcher. So if the guy misses the ball, it just hits the, the garage door and, and comes right back to you. Way easier than spending half your time chasing the ball because in reality, we're going to miss more than we're going to hit, right? So... Uh, I go into my mom. I say, mom, 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 mom. We want to play baseball. Well, my mom does not answer me because my mom is in the shower. So rather than say, oh, mom's in the shower. Hey, can we play at somebody else's house? No, no. I'm determined. I go into the bathroom. I say, mom, we need you to move the car. We want to play baseball. So my mom very graciously said, give me a few minutes. I'll be done in a minute. I'll move the car. Not good enough, mom. <laughs> this was a determined five-year-old right here. So, um, and our car was not a little Volkswagen Beetle. Our car was a, a forest green 1974 Chevy Suburban. Um, so this is like 6,000 pounds of steel in our driveway. But uh, I decided I would move the car for her. So I grab the keys off of the top of the purse. I know which key to use. It's the square one. It says GM on it. I know where it goes. So I get in the car. Uh, I sit where I know I'm supposed to sit. I put the key where I know it goes. And I know that this thing makes the car go. So I found neutral and the car started to go. Um, there, there were... Uh, my other friends from the, from the cul-de-sac who were playing street hockey in the street. Um, thankfully, I didn't hit any of them. The, the car went down the driveway, up the street, and kind of rested in the middle of the street. And uh, uh, the last moment I remember <laughs> is my mom coming out of my house, hair all wet, a pink robe held like this, and a wooden spoon in this hand. <laughs> it was not my finest hour. But let me tell you what I did not think about. I did not think, Keith, you don't know how to drive. That never crossed my mind, as far as I can remember. I never thought that. At least never enough to like dissuade me from moving the car. The other thing I never thought is, Keith, your feet cannot reach the pedals. 
how are you going to keep this 6,000-pound vehicle from killing the kids who are playing hockey in the street? Not sure. <laughs> I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> Last thing I never thought was, Keith, let's say you expertly back the car out, pull it up along the curb, six inches perfectly parallel. You've already told your mother in the shower that the car needs to be moved. If she walks out after her shower and sees the car moved and finds out you moved it at five years old, how long do you think you're really going to get to play baseball? <laughs> There's not going to be much baseball happening after what you've just done. But those things never cross my mind, never once. Did I think any of those things? I saw something I wanted, and I was willing to do anything that I could to try and get it. I didn't think of the consequences. I didn't think, is this smart? <laughs> I didn't think, might I die? I didn't think, might someone else die? I didn't think anything. I saw something I wanted because I wanted it, and I did everything I could to try and get it. Costs weren't important. <laughs> so, I'm, I know it's not a perfect analogy because we're, we're little and now we're grown, but think back to when you were little and the stuff you did that you didn't think about the cost, you didn't think about the consequences, you didn't think about how it would impact the people around you, you just wanted what you wanted, and you went and got it. Think about those things, because I think Paul is addressing the Ephesians and talking to them about the way they used to live, the way they used to be. And I know for them it was, it was spiritual deadness and, and being brought to life. But I think the analogy is helpful for us to, you know, being kids and just not, we just didn't think. We didn't think about it to now growing up, being able to consider, being able to think clearly. He's, he's taking their spiritual deadness and he's explaining and he's saying, you can't go back there. You don't want to go back there. Don't go back there. Like for us, I don't want to go back to five-year-old Keith, you know, as determined and uh, you know, I will say, effective, I did move the car, as I was. I put people in danger, I put myself in danger, all kinds of, all kinds of bad things that, that could have come from that. And, and much, much bigger are the spiritual issues that are, that are at stake for the church in Ephesus. So, let's read the text, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pull it apart. So, starting in verse 17, chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, Ephesians, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Greedy 
to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught of him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is the way you used to live, and now you don't have to live that way anymore. You have a new life. But our, our lives before Jesus, here's what he says. The way we used to think, the way those Gentiles think, the way the rest of the world thinks, futilely. Which just means it serves no purpose. It's not effective towards its goals. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, in the, the, the ineffectiveness, uselessness of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So just my own little paraphrase. First, the biggest thing is they're alienated from God. Here's the problem. We're separated from God. We don't even, we don't even know it. We don't even know the danger that we're in. We don't even know the trouble that we're in. But our thinking is ineffective to remedy our problem, to rescue us. Our understanding is unclear. We don't even know how to go about it, and our knowledge is insufficient. This is who you were, Ephesians. This is who we were before Christ, alienated from God. And all the thinking, all the understanding, all the knowledge that we might have had would not have helped us be restored to God without Jesus. Jim Carrey uh, said this, uh, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I remember when Todd first used this quote, I said, there's no way Jim Carrey said that. Some Christian made that up so that, so that we could make a point. But he really did say it. I looked it up because I didn't believe it. Jim Carrey, who arguably maybe has everything that he could want or that one could want. But when the emptiness, when the brokenness is inside of us, you can heap all the stuff you want on the outside of us, but the inside is not going to be fixed. So the way we used to think was in futility. The way we used to feel was calloused. Here's how Paul says it in the text. Uh, starting at 18, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, and due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous. The hardness of their heart, and then down at the bottom, uh, belonging to their former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So not only was our brain our thinking ineffective and in, uh, inefficient, unable to fix our problem. But our hearts, our hearts were hardened to the realities. Uh, the way we used to feel empty, calloused, you know, like 
nothing gets in. The way that the prophets talk about it is when we come to faith, God takes out a heart that is stone. You know how hard a stone is. Our heart that's like stone and he puts in a heart that is flesh, a heart that can feel, a heart that can experience, can, can understand uh, the goodness, can feel it, um, empty and self-centered, like, like my, uh, my request to my mom. You know, I just want what I want, and I, I don't care who I hurt to get it. I'm going to expend every amount of energy that I can to get what I want. And the callousness is that whatever happens, happens. I don't care. The way we thought was futile, the way we felt was calloused, and the way we lived, both for the Ephesians and for us, the way we lived was reckless. And here's how he explains it. Uh, Starting at 19 in the middle, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Whatever will meet my desire of the moment, that's what I want. Greedy for the immediate gratification, the immediate fix. For every kind of impurity. So... Short-term pleasures, whatever can, whatever can address that need in that moment. And what we would say now, looking back, lesser joys. No matter how great they are, and I'm not saying that there aren't joys, but they're temporal. Earlier in the passage, he called them deceitful because they promise one thing. But they deliver another. You know, the law of diminishing returns. You know, they promise such great joy, such happiness, such ecstasy. But you come back again and you get a little bit less. And you come back again and you get a little less and a little less and a little less. They overpromise and they underdeliver. They are not joys that sustain, and they are none of them joys that are eternal. So now our lives, he spends most of the passage on, here's the way you used to live. Don't live that way anymore. And then he turns the corner and he says, here's how I want you to live. This is what really living looks like. Now I want to take just a little break again and and, uh, say, I'm teaching my son, uh, Brennan, who is 17, how to drive right now. And uh, I have, I don't know that I've ever felt so powerless. <laughs> As being in an, uh, in an automobile with someone who is driving it for the first time, who doesn't know how to drive it, has a vague appreciation for the rules of the road. And I don't have a brake pedal. You know, when I learned to, in driver's ed, we used to have a class, just so you know. We used to have a class where we learned how to drive. <laughs> I know they don't do that anymore. But, and the cars that we drove had a brake pedal on the passenger side. 
So if I was about to kill myself or someone else or the instructor, he could press the brake and we would stop. And it was a wonderful thing, and I want one for my car. <laughs> but it gives me a new appreciation for, you know, okay, hey, I was probably just like, just like that 17-year-old kid sitting across from me, just learning, just figuring it out. And that's where we are. And I think that's what Paul feels. He sees the church of Ephesus going over here toward dangers, toward, you know, wherever they're headed. And he says, no, don't live that way. Here's the way you need to live. Here's what you need to do. So he, he describes it. The way we think is Jesus. In verse 20, he says, don't do all those things like, like you used to do, like the rest of the world does. That is not the way you learned Christ. And it's a really, I don't know, a, a strange phrase that makes me stop. The way you learned Christ. Not learned to follow Christ or learned to live like Christ or that's not, you know, how I taught you. You know, I don't know. It just is strange. But that's not the way you learned Christ. And I love that he says, assuming that you've heard about him. Paul's the one who told them about Jesus. Paul was there for three years teaching them. So I think they know about Jesus. Assuming you've heard of him and were taught in him, which I know you were because I was there and I'm the one who taught you, Paul says. But the truth is in Jesus. The way out of this futility, of this hardness of heart, out of this reckless living that leads not to eternal happiness is Jesus. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. All these things are directed to our minds. You were taught, you heard, and when you heard, you were renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there's a thinking aspect to what, to what unlocks this, this new living, this uh, spirit-filled, spirit-directed living. In Romans, Paul describes it as, in 12.2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then I thought of Colossians where uh, Paul says, Jesus, the reason, the reason it's fixed on Jesus, the reason it's all about Jesus is the invisible God came in Jesus. Says Jesus is the image, the visible kind of image of the invisible God so that we would have someone to watch, to model after, to, to follow the image of the invisible God. And for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It is all hinged on Jesus. To get out of the old life and into this new life that is directed by his spirit, Paul points them, use what the gifts God has given you, all of them, to pursue Jesus. Jesus makes our thinking effective. Remember, we were alienated from God. And we heard the gospel and responded. We heard, we, we had to mentally process it. And Jesus, through his spirit, makes that thinking effective, opens our eyes, removes the scales from our eyes, takes that 
heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. Jesus makes the way clear. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he, Jesus, is abundantly sufficient for all of our needs, for all that we desire, for all of life and living rightly and living in ways that bring us joy and bring God glory. Jesus is that key. So when we talked about the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, now on this new living side, Jesus is the way we think. And then the way we feel is renewed, like a new creation. He says in 23, be renewed, made new in the spirit of your minds. Back in chapter 1, as he's praying for the church, he says, uh, I do not cease, uh, starting in 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So not just our heads, but our hearts enlightened as well. Not just a, a list of facts or a list of, you know, historical dates or things Jesus did or characteristics that he has, but a, an affinity, an affection, a love for those things. You know, the Bible tells us the, the, the demons know all about Christ. They know who God is and they shudder. They don't have that affection, that love that goes with that knowledge. What Paul is encouraging is not only that we know Christ and we know about him, but that we treasure him, that we love him, that it is from our hearts, the eyes of our hearts have been opened to see him for who he is. And how does that feel? What are the, what are the, the new ways that we feel well, it's the opposite of hard and calloused. You know, it's, it's open. It's what, what we talked about at the beginning of chapter 4. Humility, gentleness, humbled and loved. You know, he talks about being adopted in chapter 1, having this, this inheritance, this rich inheritance waiting for us. That we were chosen so we feel humbled, we feel loved, and happily restored. No longer alienated from God, but restored. And living in that restored relationship. You can't go back to this alienated, cut-off life. Because now you are connected to the living God. Don't live like that anymore. You live in a new way. You think in a new way. You feel in a new way. And the way we live. Like God, there's a tall order for you. Living like God. Starting in 22, he says, um, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, the old you, which is corrupt through deceitful desires, but now be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which is created 
after the likeness, to look like, to be like, to act like God in true righteousness and holiness. New way of thinking, new way of feeling, and a new way that that gets expressed in our actions. So the first thing is just enjoying creation with the creator. You know, as I, uh, as I wanted so badly to enjoy, you know, baseball with my friends, baseball wasn't a bad thing. But the way I was going about it was a bad thing and was potentially going to hurt people. But the creation itself, the enjoyment of it, the game, my friends, my neighbors, all those things are great things that God made us to enjoy, wants us to enjoy, things that he enjoys. So now in this new life, we get to enjoy them with the designer, with the creator, the way these things are intended to be, which is going to be way better than whatever a five-year-old can enjoy in driving a car. Way better. Because I didn't, I didn't know anything about how to enjoy it. I didn't know anything uh, about it. We are free to enjoy so much more. Uh, with pleasures in perspective. Now all of a sudden we have a framework. God has given us a framework to put our joys, our pleasures in the proper perspective. Hey, these are great, but they only last, you know, for a certain time. They're not going to fulfill me. You can heap all the worldly stuff on top of me, but if the brokenness is inside, it doesn't help. It doesn't fix it. But now that the inside is fixed, God has given us an amazing creation to enjoy. And so we celebrate the gifts, but we celebrate the one who's given us the gifts over and above everything else. And then lastly, fixed on Jesus. That's the way we live. Fixed on him. Everything about this new life hinges on Jesus. The way we think, being filled with his spirit that we can now be guided by the spirit of the living God. That that would inform our feelings. How we feel about the people around us. How we feel about our friends, our neighbors, our family who don't yet know Christ. Who are headed for an eternity separate from him. All of a sudden, we realize the danger that our loved ones are in. That we didn't see before. But now we can see so fixed on Jesus changes our thinking, our feeling, and our acting. We are never going to be perfect, not one of us, until we get to heaven. And even then, Jesus was perfect way before us. So we don't have any, anything to brag about. He's the one who has accomplished it all. But more and more, we get to reflect his character in our lives, in our decisions, in our choices, in our relationships. So what do we do? How do we cultivate this? And I just have one very, very, very simple takeaway for this week. 
which is we focus on Jesus. Now, I didn't put read Ephesians 1 through 3, although that would be great. But I don't, you guys are all, Brian talked last week, we all have different gifts. We all have different ways that we learn. We all have different ways that we interact with God. Um, Reading, obviously, is core. But maybe you would prefer uh, a song that you put in your playlist this week that keeps your eyes, your mind, your heart fixed on Jesus. Maybe that will be focusing on Jesus this week for you. Uh, Maybe it's a podcast. You know, maybe it's something that as you're driving, I drive uh, in, in from Corona every morning. So I have plenty of time to uh, listen to things in the car. If only I were a better auditory learner. <laughs> that could be really helpful for someone else, but not for me. Um, but maybe you are, and maybe you can retain the things that you hear. Um, whatever it is, a book, a podcast, uh, a sermon, uh, a study, your life group, um, whatever is going to remind you, keep you fixed on who Jesus is, what he has done, and what his character is like that we are trying to emulate. That's what I would love for us to incorporate this week. And uh, different for each of us, maybe. But you know what that could be. You know where that is. And if you don't, please come talk to me. We have all kinds of resources. We have resources coming out our ears. And so whatever, however God has wired you, there are ways for you to keep your mind, your attention, your life focused on Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to honor you with the way we live. We don't want to go back to the way we were. We don't want to go back to the old ways of living and choosing. Um, Lord, you have rescued us, and we want to live like people who are new, like people who have been redeemed in our minds, in our hearts. Lord, we want to reflect your character. So whatever we can do, Lord, the work is yours to do in our hearts and in our heads, but we want to cooperate. We want to work with you. So Lord, would you even bring to mind this week how we might focus our time and attention on you just in a new way, in a different way, in a special way this week that we would uh, focus our mind on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.